sir first <clears throat> for those of you that may be visiting my name is Mike Abici I am a member here and Pastor Jimmy was out of town for a couple of weeks and asked if I would be willing to preach today and I said yes I would <clears throat> and I have cried for three weeks I'm going to try not to cry for the next hour. <clears throat> Man was driving down a road and he, just driving through the country, he drove past a farm and he sees out in the farm, he sees a commotion and he looks a little closer, he kind of pulls over and he sees a, a bull running back and forth and he sees a, the unfortunate farmer is stuck, he can't get away from the bull. But he's right next to a hole in the ground, and so when the bull charges him, right before the bull gets there, he drops in the hole, and he, the bull comes past, and the farmer jumps back out of the hole, and this keeps going on. And finally, the man jumps out of his car, and he says, Mister, won't you stay in the hole? He says, I can't. There's a bear in the hole. <laughs> that was my grandpa's favorite joke. And that's exactly how I feel this morning. <laughs> so... I didn't say a word to Jamie about what I was going to preach about, <clears throat> and uh, Sarah, Jesse, you're supposed to be praying for me not to cry up here, <laughs> but I am afraid. Hang on, I'll get there. I'm afraid of my own message this morning. <clears throat> And I am going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to lay this out here. If I get done, I'm going to share what I believe God has asked me to share. But if I get done, I want you, if I'm wrong, I want you to come to me and tell me. And Jimmy, don't ever let me preach again. Turn to Genesis chapter 6. Jimmy asked Marshall and I to preach, and, and I went to Marshall that couple Sundays later. I said, Marshall, what are you going to preach on? And he said, he said, I feel a call. I feel God saying to me, I want, you to, I, want to, I want you to preach on reclaiming a vision for the holiness and the righteousness of God. And I'm like, whoa. Because I have a, just a fierce desire in my heart to preach on reclaiming a vision for generational faithfulness. See, we hear it every once in a while. We hear, we hear um, these words. We say, hey, guys, can you all put a timer up there? Because I, I'm not thinking straight at the moment, and I want to close in time. Thanks. We hear, we hear statistics. The young people are not, the millennials, whatever, the young people are not repopulating the church, if you were, not, are not staying in the Christian faith. And that is strange. Isn't that strange to you? If something can mean so much to you, why doesn't it mean it to your children? And so I want to... I've titled the sermon this morning, Judgment is Coming, A Call to Generational Faithfulness. And I want to read... Um, from Genesis 6, I want to read about 
Noah and, and draw some lessons from that and hopefully be able to apply them to our own life. And I, I tell you, if, if you think that I'm talking to you, if you think I'm singling you out, believe me, I'm not singling you out. I'm speaking what I believe. I've cried. Some of these things I don't want to say, but I'm going to, but I think it's what God wants me to say. So turn in your Genesis. Does this thing keep going out? You want to just leave it on there and I'll just stay here. I can't talk without my hands, but hopefully I can talk without walking. All right, Genesis chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5. Jamie, thank you so much for that about your grandmother, because generational faithfulness is exactly what you described this morning, and it's what I'm just, I want to, I want to speak to our hearts on. Genesis chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 5, when the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every scheme of his mind thought of nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe off from the face of the earth mankind whom I created together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor in the sight of the Lord. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God, and Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. And then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to it all. For the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. You are to make a roof finishing the sides of the ark to within 18 inches of the roof. You're to put a door in the side of the ark, make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. Understand, I'm bringing a flood. Flood waters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. You are also to bring into the ark two of all the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of everything from the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten. Gather it as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. Then, Noah, then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. You are to take with you seven pairs, a male and its female, of all the clean animals, and two of the animals that are not clean, a male and its female, and seven pairs, male and female, of the birds of the sky, in order to keep offspring alive on the face of the whole earth. Seven days from now, I will make it rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe off from the face of the earth every living thing that I made. And Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood came and water covered the earth. So Noah, his son, Sons, his wife, and his son's wives entered the ark because of the waters of the flood. From the clean animals, unclean animals, birds, and every creature that crawls on the ground, two of each, male and female, entered the ark with Noah, just as God had commanded him. Seven days later, the waters of the flood came on the earth. By the way, if you're here, um, there is a passage in the New Testament. There's, this is a very controversial topic. 
even in the evangelical world, a lot of people don't believe that it was a global flood. Maybe it wasn't even real. Maybe this is just sort of a literary device. Second Peter says, if you don't believe it, uh, you're categorizing yourself with the scoffers of the last day. So I'm going to just say, let's assume for this morning, at least, hear what I have to say, that this is a true story in accounting. So let's set the stage. Who is this Noah? He's the grandson of Methuselah. Everybody knows Methuselah. He's the oldest man that ever lived, 969 years old. But that's about all we know about him. Lamech was Noah's father. And both of them, Lamech and Methuselah, both died right before the flood happened. Now, I think that's important to note because it seems to me like if those two were spared the judgment that was coming, I think it's because of the righteousness that I think we can imply righteousness to them in that moment. Enoch was his great, uh, great grandfather. And Enoch was so holy, according to the Bible, that he walked with God and God actually just took him. He didn't even bother letting him die. He just took him back to um, himself. What was Noah like? This is where I feel like the man stuck in the field between the bull and the bear. Because as evangelicals, rightly so, we preach Jesus Christ. We preach righteousness through Jesus Christ. And that is so true. But I'm going to speak on the other side today. I'm going to speak on practical righteousness, holy living, that is, that is spoken of as obedience to Christ in the scriptures. And I tremble because I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that you have to somehow work your way into heaven. I don't want that. And so I feel stuck, but I feel like I have to talk on what God asks of us. What he says, this is what I want you to do. And I want you to look at Noah. It says, this is God saying it. Chapter 7, verse 1. Noah says, our Lord says to Noah, enter the ark, for I have seen that you alone are righteous. The word righteous means to be right. It is, he is upright. He is a, he is, in God's, in God's eyes, he is a righteous man. Now, Noah, obviously, we go to Hebrews, Noah has faith. And it says, by faith he did these things, and by faith he um, was made right with God. But God says, you're righteous. He says of Job to Satan, hey, Satan, have you seen my servant Job? There's no one like him in all the earth. He's upright. He's perfect. And that's where the rub is going to lay today. What was his world like? His world was, uh, according to here, it was constantly evil. The thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. And God says to Noah, Noah, you're going to be saved. I'm making a covenant with you. you because you're the only righteous man in your generation. And last night, about 8.30, I called Marshall Green and I was crying I had a cow that was probably dying. I had one that was loose. I didn't have my sermon notes finished yet. I hadn't milked yet. I was weary. And I was standing outside, and this cow, my, one of my cows comes running past me through the yard. And I'm like, oh, God, not tonight. I don't need that on top of everything else. And I thought in my mind, this is war. This is spiritual. Something's going on here. And I called Marshall, and I just started crying. I said, I need help. Pray for me. And when I did that, after I got off the phone with him, I thought, can you imagine Noah? 
You know he's got relatives. He's got to have some kind of relatives. And God says, you're the only one. He's got grandpa and dad, and that's all he can depend on. How lonely would that be? So first off, Noah was righteous. He was faithful, but he was righteous. Secondly, he was obedient. <clears throat> Turn to Hebrews. Um, I was actually very surprised when I started studying it because I knew the story and I loved the story, but what I didn't—I had never really made all the connections through the scripture of how often Noah is referenced, even in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, he says, "By faith Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen, and motivated." By godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah was obedient with godly fear. Now, the scripture says that we've not been given the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So, what's he talking about here? If we're not given the spirit of fear, and yet Noah is motivated by godly fear, there must be some difference between a righteous fear and an unrighteous fear. We'll deal with that. Third, Noah was faithful. As we see in Hebrews again, but in Genesis chapter 7, verse 17, I want you to listen from Noah's perspective. The flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. I don't know how long our building is here, but is it, more, is it more than 450 feet? I don't think it is, which means that the ark would be bigger than our church house. And it's hard enough to pour concrete and raise something above it and hope that it stands when the wind and rain are hitting it. But imagine if you have to build something that you've never done before, that's bigger than anything you've ever seen before, and you don't get to test it first. It either fails or it floats. And so imagine Noah getting in the ark with his children, and he's got the, the animals in there, and, and God says, get in. And he closes the door behind him, and for seven days they wait, nothing. And then they hear the rain. And I don't know, I, I suppose that it was a, an extremely violent scenario for the next 40 days. Can you imagine the, the just the... The internal fear in that moment, what if this thing doesn't float? Oh, God's judgment is coming to pass, but what if it doesn't work? That's what I would have been thinking. Man, I hope I sealed all the joints on this thing. But here's what struck me this week as I was studying it. And this is, and this is where I think the rub lays with us as believers in today's world. I think this is where in a lot of ways, faith dies. Supposing that Noah was a righteous man, we know that to be true, and God had come to him and said, Noah, I need you to build an ark because it's the only way you're going to survive the judgment that is to come. Noah said, all right, I'll put that on the list of things to do. And he begins fooling around with it starts cutting some wood, and he goes out there and it's like, oh my goodness, this is way bigger. I, 
there would have come a point when his obedience or his lack of obedience would not have delayed the flood and he would have been destroyed. And I think, I think that is a warning for us today. Our righteousness is in Christ. There is no question. God has imputed Christ's righteousness. When we repent and we come to him, that righteousness that Christ won for us is imputed to us. But if that's where it ends for us, I tremble. I'm not sure that your ark is built. Some of the things I say this morning, I'm afraid to say because I'm not quite sure how to deal with them myself. And so I want you to hear what I have to say and I want you to ponder it. Don't stone me right after the service. At least wait a week or two. So three things. Noah was righteous, Noah was obedient, and Noah was faithful. And I want to now put that into our lives today. How can we apply that to us? It says, God says to Noah, he says, you're the only one righteous in your generation. I think that's a specific statement because Lamech and Methuselah are the two previous generations and, and perhaps there were others of that generation that died off prior to the flood. But Noah, the spearhead, the point of the spear had come down to him and he was the last one. So for you, in this room today, it cannot be said of you, you are the only righteous one in your generation because we know that God has believers all over the world who are walking with him and serving him. So we can't say that about ourselves. But can we say that we are righteous? Can God say of us that we are righteous in our generation? Can he say that of you? Let's go to the New Testament now, and we'll, we'll look at some, um, we'll back up the Old Testament with the New Testament. Matthew 5. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be looking at a lot of different passages, so if you want to follow along, you can. If not, that's fine, but I'm going to be flipping back and forth. The first one is in Matthew chapter 5, and it is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's Jesus commanding us, to be perfect. Now, Romans 6. Hopefully most of you know this passage by heart, but we'll read it from the scriptures to verify it. This is Paul speaking. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace can multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Be holy, the Apostle Paul. Now turn back to 1 Peter if you're following along. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is the Apostle Peter speaking. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Now, when these three men, 
Jesus, the God-man, and his apostles, Peter and Paul, speak of holiness, speak of being perfect. I'm going to let it stand that we already assume that our righteousness is imputed through Christ. But this righteousness that they're referring to here is lived out, practical, holy living. For Noah, it wasn't enough to endorse the idea that judgment was coming. It wasn't a good thought to, uh, yeah, I should probably, probably get a boat around or something. It was either you obey or you die. That was the options. You obey or you die, period. There was nothing in between. And what we've... I. I think what we've done today is we've divorced the two. And Jimmy has spoken of it recently, um, and I think it's worth at least considering. James says, you show me your faith without your works. Go ahead. I'll show you my faith by my works. If it's not being lived out, if life with Christ in your life, if his righteousness in your life is only imputed righteousness, but there is no effect on your practical life, you might want to rethink Go back and examine your faith, as Paul says, and see whether you be in the faith. If that's all it means to you, Noah was righteous, the scripture says so, but he was obedient, and it was his obedience and his faithfulness to that. Something struck me this morning about the story that I never thought about before, because I always assumed that Noah knew the timeline. Is that a common assumption? You know, God gives him the plans for the ark, and he also gives him the date that the thing is going to be completed so that he can get the animals loaded so that the flood can come. I always assumed that's how it was. But there's no, maybe it was that way. There's no indication. I don't know that it was. I think God is saying, no, build an ark. Judgment is coming. And Noah gets the ark done. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that project? And he gets done and he says, I think I'd like to go to the Outer Banks for a while and just relax. And he, he walks home that night and he gets in the door and his wife has supper for him and they sit down. And he goes to sleep and he wakes up the next morning and God says, no, you got seven days, get them loaded. God, are you serious? I don't know. I'm, this is a conjecture. But oftentimes God pushes us to our breaking point to see what we're made of. Are you serious? I don't feel like it. Haven't I obeyed you enough? Not enough. All the way until judgment, or it's not enough. Now, each of these points, faithfulness, righteousness, and obedience, I think are steps to keeping our children following Jesus. And this one, Step one to general, generational faithfulness is what I titled it. Our kids want to be like us. So if they want to be like us, why not capitalize on that? Now, let's go back to the story of Noah again. Imagine this. According to Jesus, in the Gospels, he says this. He says that the end times, that when the, when the Son of Man returns, it's going to be like the days of Noah. 
And I always thought that meant extremely wicked. But you know, he doesn't reference that. He actually references Lot and Noah and never says anything about their wickedness. You know what he says? He says they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. They were doing life on a normal basis and judgment came. Hmm. So how did Noah know then? Because he was listening to somebody else. And this is where I think for myself, and you can apply it, if it applies to you, apply it. But for me, if my children want to be like me, they're going to model what I am. When I was growing up, my dad drove Chevy trucks. Some of his Chevy trucks would almost not go, but he drove Chevy trucks. One of them I remember he paid $200 for, and you could hear it coming for a half a mile before he got home. But he was very proud of that truck. And I drive a Chevy truck. My truck sometimes doesn't hardly go, but I like my Chevy truck. But supposing that my dad talked about driving Chevy trucks, but he drove a Ford, that would be a little confusing to me. I wouldn't know what he really likes. That's what I'm talking about. When your kids want to be like you, but they don't really know what you are. You come to church on Sunday morning. You sit here and you look good, but next week you're angry with them. Next week you're cursing in front of the neighbor because the neighbor curses, but you don't curse on Sunday morning. They don't know. If you don't give a clear example, they can't follow you. I'm not saying that it applies to you. What I'm saying is, is it's something that we would do well to heed. If our life in Christ does not live out in obedience, I guarantee your children will be the first ones to pick up on it. So I wonder sometimes if the reason that we're not bringing our children along with us generationally is less about them and a lot more about us. Step one, if they want to be like you, and be like Christ so they can be like you. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And by the way, I am not referring to covering, I'm not referring to covering sin here. I am not talking about trying to pretend to be holy. I'm talking about living it out. When I, am, when I do something wrong, and I know I've done something wrong, I go back to my kids and I say, I'm sorry. Why? Because I messed up. And they know I messed up. They heard me talking unkind to Melissa. That is not how you treat your wife, son. There's a better way to do it, and I am sorry. I've apologized to her, and I don't want you to be like that. Everyone is going to make mistakes. I'm talking about living an authentic life in which the mistakes become less and less, and you become more and more like Jesus Christ. This is a progressive path we're walking on. Someone said of Dickie one time, he's like fine wine. He gets better with age. It wasn't Donna that said that. Maybe she would say it. I don't know, but it wasn't her. So I, I don't want to stand here and discourage you. What I want to do, though, is inspire you to obedience. I want to inspire you to be practically righteous so that your children can follow you. Now, um, second, we're to be obedient. Well, I've been talking about that. And, and, and I, when I was studying this, one of the things I struggled with was these three words, righteousness, obedience, and faithfulness, do interact a lot, but they don't ina interact entirely. And so obedience sometimes comes when there isn't a lot of righteousness in there and there isn't a lot of faithfulness. If you sign up for the Marine Corps, 
and you think that the next nine weeks of your life are going to be fun, um, you may have been drunk when you signed up because that's not how it works. How it works is the next nine weeks of your life are hell. And the reason that they're hell is because there's a war. And there are bad guys who want to kill you. And the only way to combat the bad guys who want to kill you is to become just as tough as they are. And the only way to do that is to overcome your lazy, individualistic self by having someone scream in your face and make you do things that you thought you couldn't do. And so God gives us children and he gives us a couple of years to do that with them. Take that in context. We are to be obedient. So, have you ever looked at the scriptures and said, well, I'm, I think I am obedient. And then you run across a verse and you're like, whoa, I don't know about that one. And so we just, we just kind of push it under the rug and we don't talk about it. We try to pretend that it's not in there because it actually um, is painful. I'm going to give you some commands of Christ. If we're to be obedient, there's got to be commands to follow. Is that correct? There are commands in Scripture in the New Testament for us as New Testament believers. And the writers of those commands expected us to live them out. So here's some. And I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit uncomfortable. If you are a child that understands my voice and you are less than... You're 17 or less, I want you to stand up right now. If you're too embarrassed to stand up, shame on you, but stand up anyway. All right. Who can tell me what is the one command in the New Testament that is required of you as a follower of Christ? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, Ephesians 6, 1. All right, sit down. If you were standing just then, listen to me carefully, kids. One command in Scripture, if you are following Jesus, it is absolutely expected for you to obey that. And it's about the hardest one that you can do. But guess what? It's training for later on. Now, if you're a father in the room today, I want you to stand up. All right. Someone know the command that's right after that one in the scripture that is directed to fathers. Somebody want to tell me? Ephesians 6. Go ahead, Jamie. Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and training of the Lord. It's not a suggestion, that's a command. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Do not exasperate your children, provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the nurture, the training, and the discipline of the Lord. Period, end of discussion. If you're standing right now, that applies to you. Let me sit down. 
You know, I read these verses. I don't think about it like that. I read it, I'm like, that's cool, that's a great idea. No, it's a command. It's what God wants from us as his followers. All right, a couple more. This is sort of musical chairs. If you are a husband in the room today, stand up. Ah, we're going to be standing for a while, men. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's just one. There's a bunch of them in there. Are you living that out? Is that a daily part of your life? There's more. I'll leave it there. You may sit down. Now, for the rest of these, I'm not going to make you stand because it kind of differentiates on age, and so I'm just going to leave it there. Um, if you are an older man, it's easier for an older man somehow to identify himself than an older woman, and I'll just leave it there, but... Titus 2 says, older men are to be, listen carefully to this practical wisdom, are to be level-headed, worthy of respect, sensible, and sound in faith, love, and endurance. I have met men who are not that and are older, and it's disgusting, quite frankly. You've met them, you've seen them in town, staring at a young girl as she comes past and you're like, you could be her grandpa, what's wrong with you? Older men are to be level-headed. This is, it's not a suggestion, it's, this is things that we're supposed to be, like if we look at our lives, we're supposed to examine ourselves against that. Are we this thing? Are we obedient in this area? All right, younger men, Titus 2, same chapter. I'll let you define which, which one you fall in, but I actually think this is referring more to like what we would call maybe college and career or something like that. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Are you self-controlled? Are you pure? Are you able to walk away from the temptation of sin? Are you able to get up in the morning when no one's commanding you to and have your quiet time with the Lord? Are you self-controlled? It is self-control that builds the base. I remember, I was telling somebody this the other day, I remember before I was married, I'm a construction guy, I've been in construction my whole life. And you ladies, please don't go near construction sites. I've been out there and I would watch someone come past and I'd watch the whole place shut down as people stared at this woman. And I would say to myself, God, why did you make it so hard? Hmm? Why did you make it so hard? And then one day I got married and I realized there's a time in your life when you're a young man that you can build self-control in a way that you can never do again. And I suddenly realized why he gave me that. And it was, I looked back and I thought, 
Oh, it was my nine-week boot camp, wasn't it? To benefit me the rest of my life. That's a command to you, young men. Be self-controlled. All right, I've left the women out so far. This one is a good one. If you're a wife, can you just stand up? You don't have to like your husband at the moment. If you're a wife, stand up. When we were singing this morning, one of the things that struck me was, um, when actually when we sang the old rugged cross, was it's shame and reproach gladly bear. You ever feel ashamed for being a Christian in today's world? The world's idea on what you are to be as a woman is so different than what Christ calls us. I'm going to read you the scripture. Don't fight me, okay? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. That's not me. I'm just telling you a command from scripture that God has given. You can sit down. I, I wanted to do this to let you know that, that it's not a joke. And these, these are simple, these, this, it's just real practical living commands that are in there. It says of older women in Titus 2, it says that they're to teach. They're not to be drunk, they're not to be out of control, but they're to teach the younger women. And the younger women, it says, are to learn from the older women how to love their husbands, how to love their children, how to be uh, wise and pure, to keep their homes correctly. You older women, You've raised your children already. That's your task. That is what obedience looks like for us. And I don't think I've missed anyone in the room. Everyone should have had some command that they can go home and look at. But when we look at the New Testament, it's easy. And, and this is, this, this is be the bull and the bear scenario. It's easy to just look at what Christ has done for us. But there is a whole world in the New Testament of what you what it means to follow Christ, the cost of following Christ. There is real difficulty in following Christ. I've, I've heard people talk about obedience. You know, well, it's good to obey. We need to obey. And then they run up against something they don't want to. And all of a sudden, when obedience should be the thing that forces them to continue going forward in that direction, they bail out in the moment when it's most needed. All right. So... Um, this, the second step in generational faithfulness is based on obedience, and it is this. If you, as a parent, are submissively obedient to Christ, you have the moral authority to speak into your child's life. If you're not, you have lost the moral authority to speak. You can still speak. But let me give you an example. Uh, this last week, by the way, I got Dietrich's permission to share this. Last week, uh, he was helping me on a job. And I was laying a stone fireplace inside this house, and stone comes in these big plastic containers, and it's very heavy, and I had an extra one in there. And I'm finishing up on the top, I'm up on the scaffolding, and I say to Dietrich, I want you to take that box of stone back out on the deck where it's not going to be in the house anymore. And he looked at it, and he kind of hefted it a little bit, and he's strong, and I knew that he was well able to carry it. And he's like, it's kind of heavy. 
Yeah, I know. He said, I'm afraid the bottom's going to fall out. I said, it won't. And he didn't say anything for a little bit. And then he said this. He said, I suppose that if I don't carry it out, you will. And I said, that's correct. And he didn't say another word. He just picked it up and carried it out. Why? Because I had the moral authority to speak. Son, you can do it because I can do it. And it was the challenge, too. Old dad can do it. I bet you can do it, too, you know. Make those muscles work. I remember as a, I was probably 12 years old. My dad was trying to teach me how to water ski. I remember this so distinctly. My dad was not a fierce kind of guy when he was instructing us. But that particular day, dad loved to water ski. And I was in the water, and I had tried and tried and tried, and I could not get up. And I was so angry. And I'm like, Dad, I'm done. I, I don't want to water ski. I don't want to do this anymore. And he said, you're going to learn how to ski. Why? Because one time he couldn't ski, and somebody did that to him. And he learned how to ski, and he enjoyed it. And the next time, angry. All right, hit it. I got up on the water. Whoa, this is awesome. Thank you, Dad, for saying you're going to do what I know you can do. Obedience in our lives gives us the moral authority to speak into the lives of the next generation. And if you do not have that, you cannot speak. Try this one. Son, checking out your phone and I see there's some pornography on there. You can't be doing that. Let me help you. Dad, there's no way to live above that. Oh, yes, there is. Really? I saw it on your phone too, Dad. Oh. This isn't about one-upping other people. This is about living the way Christ wants us to live because the Holy Spirit gives us the power. We, Jimmy said it a couple weeks ago, he said, the, the Holy Spirit not only gives us salvation, but he gives us the power to live salvation out in obedience on a daily basis so that the world around us can actually see Christ in our lives and our children coming along behind us can see Christ in our lives. And that leads to the last point, and I'm almost out of time, and I'm glad you're sticking with me. We have to be faithful, because listen, when Noah gets to the end, and he got the ark built, and God says, all right, seven more days, get the animals on there. Are you kidding? I got the ark built. No, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. Get them on there. And there's many a time, listen, there's many a time in my life and there's many a time in the life of the average parent when you just want to throw your hands up and walk away from it. I can't do this anymore. I've been smarted off to all day long. I'm just done. And it's in that moment when it's time to load the animals. Hang on. And in the book of Hebrews it says, um, it's actually talking, it's actually in Hebrews chapter 12, so it's talking about being compass, you know, having all the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, around us. And then it says, God is disciplining his children. And you're a child, that's why you're receiving discipline. So in that, strengthen your weak hands, strengthen your weak knees. Get back up and do it again. Now, I think the hardest part, honestly, in today's world is just not loving the world. The world is so invasive. It's so everywhere. It invades our mind when we don't know it. 
And so we develop a worldly mindset and don't even realize that we're developing a worldly mindset and we excuse things that should not be excused because the world is excusing it. Can you imagine Noah for years and years building this boat and having people say to him, Noah, are you crazy? Noah, what in the world are you? Not probably friends, probably family. Noah, you need to be preparing for your retirement and you're making your boys do. They're, they're, even, they're, they're not going to have a life. You're building this stupid boat and, and Noah has to go back to his dad and his grandpa and say, am I crazy? No, son, hold the line. Judgment is coming. And here's what we need to remember. The world looks so good right now. I know there's lots of bad stuff going on, but the sun is shining. And here in America, we have things pretty nice, and generally there's enough money to go around. Sometimes not, but we manage somehow or another. And we forget that spiritually there's thousands of grizzly bears out there waiting to eat your, our children. And we live our lives, we say, we say, yes, I'm following Christ, but we live our lives as practical atheists because we don't actually show it in real life. Do your children see every decision you make from a spiritual standpoint or from a, just a practical worldly mindset? Second Peter, let's close with this. Um, but I would encourage you, if you get a chance sometime this next week, just go through the scriptures, go through the New Testament and look, look for the call to obedience. Look for the call to practical holiness. Not holiness that lifts me up, but holiness that glorifies him who saved us and gave us his righteousness, but lived out practically. Second Peter. Chapter 3, and we're going to go from 10 to 14. Because judgment is coming. Jesus is coming back. I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime, but he's coming back. I guarantee you he's coming back. And if he doesn't come back before you die, you're still going to face judgment. And so will your children. Listen, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. The heavens will be on fire and be dissolved because of it, and the elements will melt with the heat. But based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found at peace with him without spot or blemish. That is my desire. I have over the last couple of weeks as I've been preparing this, just, it is such, it's such a fierce desire in my heart to live my life in such a way that my children, I can say to them, follow me as I follow Christ. And I think that if we begin as the church, I'm not talking even about Bacon's castle, I'm talking about if the church of Jesus Christ today would begin to obey him again. I don't care how much it costs. I don't care how silly it would make us look in the world's eyes. If we would start obeying him again, I think we would see children living for him again. Your children 
will either be, listen carefully, there's no third option, will either be missionaries or a mission field. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.